Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, you can't actually revisit your elementary school years, but your nose can take you there, says Jude Stewart, with a mere whiff of dry chalk, wet wool, or the stale waft of cafeteria lunch. We'll talk to Stewart about why smells are able to transport us, the power of our olfactory sense to shape our perceptions of the people and world around us. And we want to hear what smells grab you, for better or for worse, join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Did you know that joy has a smell, as does frustration and sadness? that there's a name for the momentary smell after rain, or that you can even trademark a smell. These are some of the fascinating things I learned from reading Jude Stewart's new book, Revelations in Air, all about the complex world of smell. It's a sense that Stewart says is having a cultural moment, helped along perhaps by the fact that a virus has ravaged our world that can temporarily cause us to lose our sense of smell completely. Jude Stewart, welcome to Forum. Hello. Thanks for having me, Mina. Glad to have you on. And I really love that part of the reason you said you wanted to explore smell and write this book was that you were feeling jaded by visuals. So what about the visual world was making you feel jaded? Well, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a feeling maybe a lot of people share, but I came at it with a really specific perspective. Um, I've written for a long time about graphic design and visual culture. And so, you know, I really spent a lot of time thinking about images. And uh, at some level, it wasn't quite working for me in the same way. And I don't even know that I could have articulated that until I, um, I happened to go to an exhibit that was all about smells. And I found it just so... Um, visceral and, and exhilarating and kind of upsetting and like all the feels. Mm. And, uh, you know, I started looking into smell and the science of smell and, and it just really fell down a huge rabbit hole and came up with this book. 
visceral. It's true. Visuals you can take in from a distance, whereas smells do require you to be in the vicinity. So that was part of the intrigue? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, it's uh, it's part of the reason why I think we're uncomfortable with smell is, <laughs> is that, you know, uh, I'm sorry to report that a bad smell is in fact little tiny bits of that smell going straight up your nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to shut off smells when you're around them. Um, you know, if you're breathing, you're smelling. So it is very close. I think it's also a little um, unnerving to uh, the, the fact that smell kind of bypasses in your brain the part that allows you to verbalize. So it's sometimes hard to put a word to smells or to describe smells. We also don't have a lot of cultural practice with that. So, um, you know, I think it, I think it's just a, it's a state of discomfort, but I found it to be a really interesting um, kind of fruitful place to, to see the world from. Yeah. Well, let me let our listeners join in with, with their smells, the smells that transport them, the smells that they love, or the smells that they don't like so much. And of course, you can always join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or post these smells on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email them to forum at kqed.org. You were already starting to talk about this, about the, the science of smell. And one of the things that uh, you focused on was how smell is like emotional time travel. And we do have this experience of being transported by a smell that we take in. Can you describe what the biological and sort of psychological mechanisms are that, at, that are at work there? Sure. Well, so unlike your other senses, smell is traveling. It kind of travels through a different pathway. It doesn't really go through your um, the new part of your brain at all. It's instead coming straight up your nose, as I said. Uh, it goes to a place that is uh, your olfactory receptors are right where um, glasses um, sit on your face. And then that is uh, attached to a, an area called the olfactory bulbs. And those are tangled up with your older brain. So your amygdala, which controls your emotions, and hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. So um, there's a reason why, uh, you know, if you think about it, every time you have a very important memory forming, uh, you know, generally you have some emotions around that. And if there happens to be a smell in the vicinity, those three things fuse, and uh, it's very hard to kind of unfuse them. And smell can also work with other senses to confirm, amplify, really basically end up enhancing that whole experience, as you say. Can you talk a little bit about how that works together? Well, all of our smells are, all of our senses are operating in concert with each other. So, um, you know, you're, you're not just seeing the cup of coffee, you are smelling it. If you're holding it in your hand, you're feeling the heat, uh, you know, you can uh, stick your finger in it and you'll have pain <laughs> if it's really hot. So, uh, you know, we don't think about how the, all those things together give us this multi-faceted, um, version of reality, but, um, you know, smell is working on us that way all the time. So I think a lot of times, uh, you know, people are smelling things in a situation and they may not be sort of just dialed in to the fact that smell is part of what they're experiencing. And so you might walk into a house, for example, that you might want to buy and you say, uh, I don't know, I don't like how it smells. And, you know, you might very well be aware that there's a mold problem or who knows what, what you're responding to, but um, there's information that's coming in through your nose that um, is informing a kind of uh, a total impression. Uh, so I think it's important to, to know what all that information is. Yes, you really wanted to note that as we do know, of course, that senses work together. There is something that really makes us form opinions, have perspectives and views about about the state of a home or the people all around us um, that you you said, I think, at one point that smell is judgy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Smell is judgy. And and it's interesting to think about, well, first off, take a step back about why do we have a sense of smell in the first place? Um, it is a form of um, sensing chemicals that happen to be floating through the air and uh, it has kind of a, a defense quality. So you might be thinking about... Um, you know, you sniff some fire. Well, you don't want to head in that direction, right? You want that to be well uh, observed well before you come upon the fire. Similarly, if you're about to eat food, it's very important that immediately you're aware that the food smells off and that you're not going to eat it. Um, you know, so so that's why smell exists, period. Um, so as a result, <laughs> you know, when we encounter a smell and we have a bad experience with it, you know, we do not forget that experience. Um, I don't want it to be all negative, though, because, of course, um, the other side of it is that, you know, we tend to f- love certain smells and, you know, we we, we can turn turn on right away at the smell of, you know, grandma's chocolate chip cookies or whatever. And um, and so those are really wonderful, too. But it's it means that uh, it's very interesting. Every time you're encountering a new smell, you're sort of generally shunting it into the good or the bad pile really swiftly, and it generally stays there wherever you shunted it. Well, let me go to caller Bella, who wants to talk about a powerful reaction to smell. Bella, join us. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Uh, so when I was a little girl, um, I was sick pretty often uh, with like colds and coughs, and so I would be often prescribed by my mother cherry cough medicine. Um, and now as an adult, if, if I smell maraschino cherries or artificial cherries, I 100% of the time will gag. Um, oh. I, I don't know if that's an association with uh, with being sick or or just having to take it so often. Um, but recently my partner got sick and I went to the local grocery store and I got him just a bottle of cough medicine and I didn't realize until I got home that it was Carrie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so I no. gave it to him. I was like, you need to take this in the other room, please. Like <laughs> I cannot be in the room when you open it. Otherwise I will probably vomit. Uh, I hope, <laughs> hope this makes you better, but I, I can't be in the same room. <laughs> oh, Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'll give you a little hack. That's a fun one to know. I mean, other than buying non-cherry cough syrup in the future, um, if you ever get in the presence of a smell that you really hate, or you just want to neutralize, you can stick your nose in the crook of your elbow. And often um, just smelling your own elbow uh, can be weirdly resetting. I mean, give it a try. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Okay. Well, Bella, thanks for sharing that. It, It reminds me of a part in your book, Jude, where you were talking about how, just thinking about medicine, I guess, that diseases can announce them sm- themselves with smells. Yes, that's a really interesting um, thing that uh, Parkinson's disease, melanomas, um, several different types of cancer, multiple sclerosis, um, COVID-19 also, um, they all sort of change the smell of your body in a subtle way. And if, you know, uh, if a dog is trained to recognize that signature or an electronic nose or a, a human doctor, all of those things uh, can be, can, can serve as confirmation of, of uh, a particular disease coming on. So our entire bodies really do give off sense. I had started by mentioning that joy and emotions have smells. Can you talk a little bit about how that happens, how they communicate emotion? How they communicate emotion? Well, this involves a lot of studies with people wearing t-shirts, <laughs> but um, uh, which is a, seems to be a common thing in smell studies. But um, yes, uh, so I can think of one study in which uh, a group of people were, um, two, two groups of people rather, 
were sent in with t-shirts to watch respective movies. One of the happy group got to go watch the jungle book and were sweating into their t-shirts, you know, laughing along with this, you know, kind of joyful film. And the other group was watching the scariest clips from the shining. So that was the fear group. Um, and uh, so those folks were feeling the fear and sweating into their t-shirts. Those t-shirts were all removed and then presented to another group um, to, to see, you know, if they could tell which was which. And not only were they able to verbalize which was which with pretty high accuracy, but also they actually had a sort of pre-verbal confirmation. We, when we, when we, um, you know, have a sense of disgust or fear or joy, our faces and our eye movements have a well-recognized pattern to, to express that. So even before we say, oh, that's joy, our face is saying that. Um, and so that, that those folks were also confirming with their, um, their nonverbal expressions too. What does, what, if you had to describe it, does joy smell like? Oh my, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had a happy t-shirt right now. Let's think about that. I mean, that's something I think we should all think about the next time <laughs> we sit down. Good question. No answer yet. <laughs> what I think is interesting is in reading your book, I realized you must have had to really think about ways to describe smells. Because frequently when I think about even asking the question, what's your favorite smell? I don't say this description of the smell. I say the thing instead of the smell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, well, that's pretty common. And then that in fact was a, a, an experience I had over and over with the book was, you know, you sit down and you're like, you smell the thing and you think it's peppermint <laughs> done. <laughs> All right, right, here we go. And uh, obviously that wasn't good enough, but um, what's, I really wanted to sit down and think about how do you express something that's difficult to express? That's an interesting challenge for a writer, but I also didn't want it to um, the prose to get overheated or to seem kind of like a perfume commercial or, you know, yes. I didn't, I wanted it to feel like you could actually get inside the smell for a second and feel like you were inside a tiny world and, and that that world would be, you know, informed by what you read afterwards. And that maybe you could even turn back around after you read the chapter and then read the smell again and sort of, you know, sit for a moment inside of it. We're talking with Jude Stewart, author and cultural writer. Her new book is Revelations in Air, a guidebook to smell. Jude Stewart's previous book includes Roy G. Biv and Paternalia. Those are two different books that she has written. And we're talking about smells. I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Describe a smell that transports you or you have a strong reaction to. Do you have questions about uh, smells and how smells get associated with emotions or memories or even people and places? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can post them on Twitter or Facebook. You can email them to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. Stay with us. Who's that casting devious stares in my direction? Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Jude Stewart, who's been investigating the science behind how our noses work and why smells are able to transport us, recall memories, stoke libidos. And you, our listeners, are invited to join to share how smells affect you. Or maybe you've lost your sense of smell at some point for an extended period of time and want to share what that was like. You can call us at 866-733-6786, Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. And let me go to Nick in Castro Valley. Hi, Nick. Oh, hello. How are you doing? I'm well. What's on your mind? So uh, I find this whole aspect of smells fascinating. Uh, I'm an inspector, a pest inspector of wood storing organisms. Part of my ritual, you know, uh, I pop open the hatch to a crawl space and I breathe in the air. It tests the air. It kind of tells me what the environment is going to be like down there. It's sandy, hmm. uh, soily, rocky, damp, dry. If there's rodentia down there, other pests. It's, uh, it's fascinating, this amount of information you get from just were you always able to do that, or did you build that up by practicing? You know, uh, it started with back way back when I just went in. Oh, Nick, I think we may have lost tell the... Oh. Sorry, you yeah. can tell if there's rodents down there if you go ahead and smell. Like, so you just... And over time, after going through so many, I guess it's just acquired. It's Yeah. Like, just smell and know the soil and kind of get an idea of the different tests in the area as well. Well, thanks, Nick. And Jude, I asked that question because you did write about how we can get better at smelling. (laughs) Can you describe how? Um, I love I love that observation, by the way. That is so interesting because I'm imagining that that's also like a very dark environment. And so smell is so important. Um, but back to your question. Um, so you, you asked, oh, how is it that we can get better? Um, my book includes several um, exercises that were things that, you know, I, I did to get better. And, um, you know, so those are kind of fun. Um, but uh, I mean, one of the things I would suggest uh, that I did was um, cre- keeping a smell journal. So just every day walk around and think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to write down one smell in my journal. And so um, what's interesting about that is that you sort of, you start looking for a smell to write down every day. And uh, so you're out, you're out there kind of smelling more than one every day. And the second thing is it creates this really beautiful kind of accidentally uh, moving journal of your, 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 your days. You know, you smelled the lilacs. That was the day the big check came in or whatever it is. You'll go back over and all the smells kind of bring back things that happened during that day. But, you know, basically it's just about, it's about, paying attention. It's about verbalizing and um, and rinse and repeat. And you're touching on this, I think, but why should we make the effort to get better at smelling? Well, you, that's a great question. You asked, you mentioned at the top of the hour that, you know, um, that smelling is something that you can only do live. And I think that's so important to just be aware of where you are in the moment um, smells don't last forever. Typically, um, you know, they're very fleeting. And so when you smell something, uh, what I, what I think of it is, is the kind of embodiment of the fact that I'm present in a particular place at a particular moment in time. And I just let that happen. And that's, um, 
it's a it's sort of a form of mindfulness turned inside out. Instead of thinking about breathe my breath or my uh, you know my mantra or whatever it is, I'm right there observing the world right as it's happening. I think that's an important sensibility to bring through your days. Yeah. Let me go to caller Bradford in Petaluma next. Hi, Bradford. Hello. I know creosote is a poison, but every time I smell it, I am transported back to the uh, boardwalks of New Jersey because mm. the pilings and the boardwalk were all coated in creosote. And I smell a new telephone pole power line, and I just I go back to my 10-year-old or 11-year-old self. And... Uh, <laughs> I just, it's just, a, I, I love that smell. And I also, I had shivers. I am, um, I really feel for the woman that is, uh, does not like the cherry flavored medicine. Um, oh my gosh, wherever she is, um, let's stay away from that. And I'm going to use the, um, the nose in my, uh, elbow. So thank you. This is, this is wonderful <laughs> being in the moment. Yeah. Creosote. Uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, uh, I love that. I was a Seattle City girl in New Jersey when, when I was a kid, so I, I know that smell well. Thanks for bringing that back. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, let me go next to Tess in Desert Hot Springs. Hi, Tess. Hi, Tess. Are you there? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me see if I can get Tess later and go to... Tess, <laughs> I think that's you. Hi. Hi, Tess. Go right ahead. Hi. I'm on my cell phone. Can you hear me? I can now. Yep. Okay, great. Fantastic. Hey, I'm really happy to hear all these guys talking about what they smell because I've had this experience where I get very specific smells. I know what they are through experience. And I've had the men around me kind of look at me like I'm insane. Yesterday I was in a 7-Eleven and I smelled a very strong burning electric smell when I walked in the door and I thought something is actually on fire in here. And I looked around and, you know, I told the cashier and he looked at the guy next to him. Everyone was just like, what are you talking about? So I was kind of wondering um, if that tends to happen, if there's a male-female divide. Mm. Um, but after everyone who's just been talking, I'm really happy to hear that they have very specific smell memories as well. Um, the other thing is just rat urine. It seems like once you smell it, like <laughs> Nick was saying, you will never forget that smell. And so I've been to Airbnbs and... Um, you know, I'm like, I know what's under the sink. And then I asked them to come and look and they don't, they don't just look at me like I'm nuts. So uh, anyway, that yeah. was just my comment. Thanks, Tess. And your comment is, is reminding me to ask Jude about the section in your book where you do talk about why certain people smell things and other people don't. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm curious. Did, so were you right at the target? Was there, in fact, uh, some kind of burning? Did they investigate? Some kind oh, of... at the 7-Eleven? You oh, know, the 7-Eleven. Yeah, you know, he he just looked at me and I said, you know, you could call the fire department. They have a little machine that can tell you if there's something up. And he's just like, yeah, no, that's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't well, know what happened. Well, that... <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know of any, um, you know, uh, specific studies that say that women are better smellers than men. But that's that's definitely worth looking into because um, I'm I'm hopeful that that might be true. <laughs> but um, yeah, we all of us have uh, what's called anosmia, um, a selective anosmias for certain smells. That means we can't smell a particular thing. So it's not necessarily, you know, 
uh, an awful thing if you're in a group of people and you smell something and the rest of those people, or sorry, the, yeah, if other people smell things and you don't smell that thing, um, it just might be that you have never encountered that thing before. And, you know, therefore you're finding out about an anosmia that you have. Um, you know, that said, there are um, some interesting kind of faulty wiring thing that happens with smells that uh, are worth looking into. Um, you know, it's well known that when um, epileptics have a seizure, they might have a smell of burning toast in their nose. There are certain indications. Um, you know, there's different phantom smells that people can get in their noses that are very uh, unpleasant. So it is worth looking into it if you're smelling something very strongly and no one else is smelling it. And perhaps if it has like, you know, if it's long lasting, that would definitely be worth looking into. Well, Patricia writes, patchouli is the one smell that will smack me in the face and cause an instant headache. Rita writes, apple blossoms send me back 60 years to memories of cuddling on grandma's ample lap. I think maybe that scent was in her talcum powder. And Lou writes, many of us have noticed that some people, as we age, we develop a distinct smell. Do you know what that is? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, It is uh, due to higher concentrations of a chemical called 2-nonanol that comes off on our skin. And... um, you know, there's, it's not, it's not a problem particularly that it happens. So there are not a ton of studies about why it is. It might be changes in our metabolism or other changes as we age in our bodies, but um, it typically is most noticeable after the 75th birthday. Um, so um, yeah, there's a, there's a Japanese word for it, uh, karaishu. Um, I'm, I don't like that we call it old people smell. I think there should be something a little more reverent than that, <laughs> but yes, it is a thing. <laughs> I do love how you talk about body smells um, and how there are so many things that influence the way that our bodies do smell, but that there is a, a baseline smell that people have. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that, about how hard it is to get to that baseline smell, but then once you do, what it kind of smells like. Yeah, uh, that was so interesting. Uh, there's a chapter in the book uh, called Skin, and it is about exactly what you're talking about. Um, our bodies are giving off smells all the time, and you can say they're kind of at three levels. That top level, level we're all familiar with, which is the you know the BO level. You're trying to constantly fight that with deodorant and showering. Um, there's a middle level that is sort of a cultural level that's like um, relates to our diet or occupations. And then that baseline level is the level of your body smell all the time underneath all those. And what that is, is the expression of your MHC genes. This is a cluster of 50 genes um, that relate to your immune system. So you're telegraphing all the time into the air, the state and type of immune system you have. And there's some evidence to suggest, at least in heterosexual couples, that um, that you know we, we choose a mate for, among other reasons, because their uh, MHC genes complement our own very well and make for kind of robust offspring. Oh, wow. Uh, let me go to caller Jan in South San Francisco. Hi, Jan. Oh, hello. Uh, very interesting uh, topic. Uh, I think the one smell that always seems to do it for me is uh, the smell of uh, jet exhaust because it just kind of takes me back to, you know, Reminds me that I'm going to go on vacation, going to go someplace uh, special, and it's uh, just the start of vacation. So it seems like every time I go drive by SFO, I just smell that uh, jet exhaust. It's like, okay, that reminds me of like when I took a vacation somewhere. So, uh, yeah, that's my special smell that um, uh, I'm just 
just kind of curious uh, who else likes the smell of jet exhaust uh, and reminds them of going on a vacation. <laughs> Jude, I can't remember if jet exhaust was in your chapter on funky smells that people like. I, I think you described yeah. this whole category of like gasoline or musk or things like that that yeah. are funky. Well, gasoline is 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 in there and it's a it's a you know, and I'm sure they're not completely divorced from each other in terms of what's what's actually in them. They're probably similar smells. But yeah, I wanted to um I like some stinks. You know, I wanted to talk about uh, about beautiful smells, but also some stinks, especially ones that we we like sort of in a secretive way. And I think gasoline and skunk are two of those. Um, and for me, gasoline, you know, yeah, it connotes you know time to hit the road, time to have a, a long car trip, and that's always exciting. Um, and then when I you know when I smell skunk, even though I don't love it and I wouldn't want to be sprayed by it, um, it does kind of connote wildness and this sense of nature and things happening out there in the woods that you know don't involve me at all. And it's really kind of a wonderful sensation. So uh, yeah, I like that. Well, Eric has a skunk-related question. Eric writes, some smells for me, diesel exhaust or skunk, for example, seem to persist much longer than other smells. I swear I can smell skunks for hours, even if I drive far away. Do some chemical components of smell collect on nostril hairs and remain longer, or is it all perception in the brain? Oh, I mean, uh, I think that's not, it's not imaginary. That is absolutely happening. Um, when uh, a skunk is driven to, to actually finally spray, there's a lot of sort of warning gestures that it does to, to let you know not to invade its space. Um, but when it does actually spray, I mean, that spray lingers for a very long time. And is it really intended to be a message to all the surrounding uh, animals in the area? Like, don't mess with me. This is my territory. Um, so it's sort of intentionally formulated that way. Um, but yeah, it really is long lasting. I hear you on that. We're talking with Jude Stewart. We're talking all about smells. And if you want to join the conversation to describe a smell that transports you or a smell that associates that you associate with a memory or an emotion, um, or if you have questions about how to enhance your sense of smell or even experiences of losing it and what that was like, you can call us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook. I mentioned, uh, Jude, the category funky, and basically your book is organized into these 10 cent categories. And uh, can you just tell us briefly about a few of these categories and, and how you came to categorize certain scents under them? Yes. Um, so the book has uh, 10 chapters and so 10 different categories, and they're sort of very loosely based on a scientific um, study. So I wanted there to be some reasoning for why I chose the, the categories that I chose. But um, but that's it. I did take a little license. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, I really wanted to um, make sure that I could account for the entire gamut of, of smells. So perfumers have their own categories, but those are generally for very pleasant smells only. And I wanted to accommodate stinks. I also wanted there to be um, a category that busts all the other categories. So the 10th the section is um, a section I call otherworldly, and it yep. includes new baby smell and ectoplasm and old books and a lot of, uh, you know, hard to, hard to category smells. But the others include things like flowery uh, and herbal. Um, there's a resinous one. There's a funky one that has a lot of interesting stinks in it. Um, let's see, salty and uh, gosh. What are, what are some other ones? Well, <laughs> I'm I forgetting wanna, them right now. I do want to yes. ask you about the um, the flowery and herbal one because it's there. I mean, of course, and the name is sort of 
self-explanatory, but you're including flowers, fresh-cut grass, line-dried laundry. You also include the smell after a rain, which I had no idea had a specific name. Can you talk about that smell and, and why it's so evocative? Yes, that name is petrichor, and it is the smell of parched earth after rain. Um, and uh, I was also super charmed by the fact that there was a word for this. Um, and uh, and moreover, was charmed to find out that it is um, actually um, harvested for a long time in India as a perfume. So right before the monsoons come, uh, they will pry out big pieces of clay from the ground and steam distill out these, these smells and put it into a perfume. But it comes from uh, plants when they are um, kind of waiting for the next rain to come, they will exude this substance into the uh, soil. And it's essentially to compete with other plants for limited uh, water. And then when the rain finally does come and it aerates the soil, it just lets this petrichor chemical lift off. And it's a beautiful momentary kind of sensation. Yeah, and I I love the description of how it, it it's like a glass of champagne, like these little bubbles of scent that <laughs> that pop up that we can all get, and it is very temporary. Uh, the other thing that I learned was that there is in fact a smell that pretty much everyone likes. <laughs> what is that smell? It is vanilla. <laughs> it is vanilla, and um, there might be there's there's I think two reasons two, two reasons for that. First. Um, Vanilla is never really the starring role, but it is an excellent supporting actor. So it really rounds out and kind of elevates other um, other smells and tastes. So um, you might notice when you bake things that a lot of times there's just a dash of vanilla in there, even though the, the resulting thing might be uh, tasting of something very different. Um, so that's the first reason. The second reason is that um, vanilla is unusual in that it's an odorant that doesn't um, trigger these nerves in our face and nose that are called the trigeminal nerve. Um, so those are the nerves that are activated when you like, when you chop onions or you, you know, have stinging hot chili peppers. Um, and often we don't like smells or skunks for that matter. Often we don't like smells because of the way that they trigger those nerves. And so vanilla has the main sort of objection to a smell removed. There's no triggering at all. You mentioned the otherworldly category and Vidaya writes, my favorite smell was my baby's mouth when they were only breastfed, love when they try to bite and kiss the face. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. Yes, I did have a good time with the newborn uh, smell chapter. That was about my son who's now eight. And um, yeah, it's a, such, a, such a temporary smell. So temporary, so hard to describe, um, yet you do attempt to <laughs> in Revelations in Air, which is the name of the book by Jude Stewart. That's who we're talking to right now. It's a guidebook to smell. And you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections on smell, your experiences with it. And uh, you can do so at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We've got a lot of calls, and I'll get to a lot of them right after the break. Also comment on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Flowers come. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about smells, the culture and scientific history of some of our most interesting scents. We're talking about vanilla and why everybody loves it, why there are smells that like new baby or, or snowfall that we know exist but are really hard to describe. And all of this is inspired by Jude Stewart's new book, Revelations in Air, a guidebook to smell. And you, our listeners, are telling us about your experiences with smell, or even if you do not have a sense of smell or have lost it for an extended period of time, sharing those thoughts as well. 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Post comments online at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook. Jean writes, I was either born with no olfaction or lost it shortly after birth. As always, when listening to discussions like this, I'm reminded yet again of my intense alienation, of my feeling of not being fully human. When you talk of joy, I realize I don't think I've ever felt it. Jude, when I was talking with people who lost their sense of smell, and it was really complete as a result of COVID, some did express just a deep, deep sense of sadness. Jean is talking here about an alienation. But what do you think that's about? Oh, well, I'm, my heart goes out to Jean because that is that is a very sad statement. Um, uh, yeah, it is really um, not a minor thing when people lose their sense of smell. Um, you know, the good news, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, you know, 95% of people who do experience smell loss due to COVID, um, it's usually not. Uh, it comes back within six months. Um, that's most people, but um, six months is a long time. And there have been uh, several studies about this and it's you know, people who are going through this period of time where they're waiting for their smell to come back, they have higher rates of depression, anxiety, they lose interest in sex, they either gain weight because they're eating a lot of like salty, sugary food, or they lose it because food holds no interest. Um, and yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of people uh, online describe the, the world as being seeming very sterile, like they're walking around and they have no no sense of really being in the place. And then that it's very um, alienating for that reason. So um yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. It's affecting millions of people right now. And yet I'm struck by the fact that even though it has such a deep impact on us, I think you were saying that we discovered or scientists really discovered and investigated the sense of smell much more deeply well after they did, say, for our sense of sight. Why right. is that, exactly. do you think? Why do we underestimate it so much? Why do we underestimate it? Um Gosh, there's so many cultural reasons for that. I mean, there are many, many reasons. I mean, the reality is that humans are, you know, we are primarily navigating through through our sense of vision. And um, so it's not just cultural. It is it is sort of how we are organized around, um, you know, taking in the world. So there, so 
there's a reason why vision is primary. Um, now, why smell has been, you know, relegated to uh, the dustbin, if you will, is uh, is a different question. And I do think that relates to culture. It may go back to the Enlightenment when, uh, you know, uh, scientific inquiry was at its um, starting point and uh, quite a few philosophers kind of weighed in and said, hey, you know, I think vision is really where we're going to spend our time and get our most accurate results. So, um yeah, there just has been a sort of collective devaluation of smells, which is really quite sad. But it's also exciting in the sense that um, the science of olfaction is still in its early stages, and there's a lot to figure out, and it's um, very interesting and very weird. So I, I am looking forward to learning more. Well, let me go to caller Pete in San Francisco. Hi, Pete. Hi, I'm fascinated by the sense of smell. I'm a scientist, medicine, and the brain. I'd like your opinion on uh, ability and trainability. I've met people who could smell so good that they could put a blindfold on in a room and go around and identify the individuals. Mm -hmm. I met a person whose first memory at the age of two was smell. I remember meeting somebody in India who was a tea taster, and it was all about smell. So I'm interested in your ideas about ability and trainability in the sense of smell. Pete, thanks. Wow, Pete, that's so interesting. Yeah, you know, that's it is absolutely a trainable skill. I think you'd have to be very interested in the smells in order to clue, clue into them. So the level of commitment would have to be high, but by the same token, um, if your smeller works, there's no reason why you couldn't get there. I remember um, from my wine chapter, I met with a sommelier and I was really nervous because, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like, uh, you know, I knew a lot about wine and that I knew that the smells of wine would be important to someone like him, but I didn't think I was equal to this. And it turns out that what he did in his training was exactly what I was doing in mine, which was, um, you know, getting more and more systematic about thinking about his smells and verbalizing. So he described a situation where he would meet with other sommeliers at kind of a similar level or ideally better than him. And they would sit around and, um, verbalize what they were smelling and tasting and uh, and he would learn from from what they would say so then he might not pick up a certain citrusy or grassy note and then you know he'd sniff again and he would smell it and then he would be able to sort of imprint that in his memory so um it was a, it was a nice validation that what i was doing was actually actually had some systems and rigor to it <laughs> well kimberly writes i judge wine as part of my profession i've been known to smell things long before others do for example i was on a bus from the airport in tel aviv and i asked everyone with me wow do you smell those orange blossoms and everyone looked at me blankly and then two miles down the road, an orange grove. I love the way smell wraps around you with memories, causing us to slow down in a rushed world. Sandra writes, I'm a super smeller. I have a million and one stories. My mother, I believe, was a super smeller as well. I'm a nurse. I've smelt the worst in life and death. I know how to turn off bad smells of all of my senses. My sense of smell is amazing. Uh, let me go to caller Guy in San Francisco. Hi, Guy. Hi. I have kind of two um, sort of emotional memories associated with smell. When I was very young, like three years old, I had to spend a lot of time in the hospital. And to this day, the smell of a hospital just raises terror and anxiety in me. The other thing is I was very, very close to my, and this is as an adult, I was very close to my father, and he died suddenly in an accident. And I missed him so much, I went and got... Um, 
one of his T-shirts out of the laundry hamper. He wasn't a stinky guy, but his T-shirt just smelled so much like him, and I kept it for years after that until the smell faded, and it made me, it brought him back to me in a way. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that, Guy. Ellen actually writes here, after my mother died, I was writing a story about a piece of her clothing that I still had and wore occasionally. I was alone, far from my closet, far from that piece of clothing, just me, my pencil and paper. Of course, I was thinking of my mom and how I missed her. Suddenly, overwhelmingly, the smell of all her clothing descended upon me. It brought tears because I really felt she had paid me a visit. Well, thanks, Guy, for the call, and thanks, Ellen, for that comment. Um, we've got so many. I feel like I should go to another one right away. Let me go next to Richard in San Francisco. Hi, Richard. Hi. How are you? Thanks for the topic. I, uh, I, I think that there's an association between smell and memory and atmospheric pressure. I took my kids down to camp at Death Valley for a few days some years ago, and on the last day of the trip, we went to uh, Stovepipe Wells for breakfast. And I'm eating scrambled eggs with the kids, and suddenly I have this flashed memory of being in my grandmother's kitchen, eating scrambled eggs with my mom and my grandmother both looking over me as, as if like, is he enjoying it? And so I thought, oh, maybe maybe there's something about, you know, being 200 feet below sea level, as is Death Valley is, that may be triggering that. So I tried it again at lunch and got a grilled cheese sandwich and immediately had a visual of, of a grilled cheese sandwich cut into little corners, squares, that, you know, a little kid could eat. And all I could think of, of course, then we had to leave after that. So I didn't get a chance to try it out for dinner. But it's an amazing experience. And I think that there is a relationship between increased atmospheric pressure, because you can't really test it underwater, 200 feet underwater. But it certainly was, uh, you know, an amazing event or experience for me that I've obsessed about for years since. Hmm. Richard, thanks. I don't know, Judith, if you have a reaction to what Richard is describing there. Well, my parents live in Palm Springs, so I feel like I'm going to have to go to Death Valley and go eat some grilled cheese and try it out. <laughs> that's really fascinating. I've not heard that before, but that's that's worth looking into. We're talking about our sense of smell, how we smell, why we smell, the connection between smell and memory with Jude Stewart. And you, our listeners, are also with us talking about smells that transport you, smells that uh, maybe not everybody loves, but for some reason you seem to. Jude Stewart, one of the categories of smell that I thought was really interesting was the category resinous. Um, You sort of described sharply freshly sharpened pencils, um, frankincense, camphor, wood-based scents. Can you talk about the appeal of resinous smells? Yes, as you said, they're all all of those smells have in common that they uh, that they come from wood and specifically from resin that's oozing out of the wood. And um, yeah, I find that I really love that category of smells. I you know I was I was really happy to hang out in that that chapter for quite a while, but um, it, it included some surprisingly diverse scents. Um, so frankincense and myrrh, I was familiar with from you know the Bible and the. Um, you know, the, the three kings who bring frankincense, myrrh, and gold to uh, the baby Jesus. And I thought, wow, you can buy frankincense and myrrh online at Amazon? 
fruit, but indeed you can, and it smells really great. And um, yeah, a lot of times it's uh, the, the tree is is producing the resin because of some sort of insect attack, and so it's kind of a protective thing, and it will change that they will ooze out the resin, and then it will change the the nature of that wood, and that wood becomes really beautiful and fragrant. And let me go to caller Zach now in San Francisco. Hi, Zach. Hi, Zach. Yeah, I can hear you. Go right ahead. Uh, Yeah, so my question was um, surrounding smells, body odors generally, um, but also in terms of sexuality and how, as a homosexual, other gay men um, generally find other men's body odors appealing. And I was curious as to whether or not there was some reasoning behind if you find someone attractive, you automatically find their body odor attractive as well. Yep. Go ahead, Jude. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you so much for calling in because I'm glad we get that chance to bring it up. Um, yeah, I, there, I did find at least one study uh, that indicated it basically took uh, two groups of, I think it was four groups of people, it was gay men, straight men, gay women, straight women, and, uh, you know, asked them to wear the t-shirts again and, and then identify it which ones was which, and also which one they preferred. And they did indeed discover that um, the, the cohort of gay men could recognize and preferred the smell of the gay men's t-shirts. And the same was true for the lesbian cohort. Um, I wish it was better studied, um, the, the fuller range of sexuality, because I was really interested in that and, and thinking beyond how smell operates in attraction. But uh, hopefully those are future studies to come. Well, Jill writes, what is your advice for those of us who react poorly to strong smells, cologne, perfume, laundry detergents, cause headaches and nausea, or are just bothersome for a lot of people? What causes this? How can we combat this at work or when traveling? You'd given us the elbow reset, but is there anything else you can tell Jill, Jude? Oh, yeah, that's a, the elbow reset is a good one. Um, let's see. There are there are other hacks that, you know, if you know that you are very sensitive in this way, you can bring along a, a little packet of um, either coffee beans or ground coffee is a really nice, um, nice smell to, to kind of just sniff and, and get your way through something. Um, people who are working in extremely unpleasant smell environments, like if you were uh, to clean up a murder scene or something, you might use like Vicks Vapor Rub and put it on your upper lip. So if you were in a situation where you really knew you wanted to block out the smells consistently for a period, that would be an option. Then you would be smelling Vicks Vapor Rub, but uh, that might be preferable to whatever else is around you. Um, yes, but that people are, some people are just more sensitive and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that people don't necessarily, uh, always recognize that as a true condition, but it, it is, it is a problem. We're talking with author and culture writer, Jude Stewart, all about smells. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Okay. One thing I wanted to ask you about was the process of trademarking a smell. So can you give us an example of a trademarked smell and how does one get a smell trademarked? Like what are the criteria? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so Play-Doh is probably the most famous trademark smell. Um, and I looked into that partly just looking for kind of nostalgic childhood smells and then was surprised to discover this fact. Um, and what I learned along the way was, uh, first off, I needed to understand what's the difference between a trademark and a patent. So a patent has to do with a product's functionality. Does it do the thing that it is supposed to do? But a trademark has to do with non-functionality. So all those intangible qualities that let you know that you have the real Play-Doh. And so 
that is protected for Play-Doh. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a combination of the ingredients and a little bit of special additives that uh, let you know you have the real thing. I just want to read how you describe Play-Doh. A rounded smell, satisfying yet enticing, has a base note of sun-warmed wheat edged with damp saltiness. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, well, let me squeeze Annika in here. Hi, Annika. Thanks so much for calling. Hi. Oh, my God. What a great conversation. I'm totally ordering the book. Um, I just wanted to share that my I have two cats. They're twins. And the top of one of the cat's heads smells so sweet and lovely. And the other cat's head is so stinky. <laughs> and I can't for the life of me figure it out. And that's what I wanted to share. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have so much homework to do after this show. People are raising such interesting questions. I cannot explain for you why that is, but I want to look into it. <laughs> well, John writes, I can always smell when there are lots of spiders in a space or basement. It's an odd metallic scent. And Laura writes, for any significant event in my life, I always change my perfume. So when I go back to smelling that perfume, it reminds me of that day or time, from the day I got married to the birth of my children to the time I lived even in London. Those smells bring up such wonderful memories. So Laura really basically, you know, traces her life with, with smells or makes sure that she has a smell to um, to connect with for specific things. In writing this, Jude, did you in some way like change? Like how did you change the way that you approach life after taking such a deep dive into smell? Oh, my. Well, first off, I want to tell Laura that um, Andy Warhol did the same thing. So she should look into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, how did it change my life? I mean, so many different ways. Um, you know, the book was... Um, conceived of as an idea well before COVID. And so, you know, during the whole pandemic, uh, you know, gradually we all became aware of how important a sense of smell was. And, you know, I, on the one hand, felt really good that I was checking my smeller every day and it was a good COVID test to have. Um, it was also great fun um, researching this whole thing during the time when none of us could go anywhere and do anything. I was able to run out and get a durian and have people send me truffles and ambergris and stuff. So it was a lot of fun. But, you know, in a deeper sense, it, um, you know, it has just kind of permanently turned me back on to the idea that that smells are around me. And, you know, and it's, it's just a very material way to just pause and pay attention to what's what's happening. And uh, just a little sniff and, you know, you, you find yourself even more landed where you actually are. So that's that's kind of a permanent mindset shift for me. Yes, it really did sound like it had that that quality for you. And, and I imagine it's something that you hope people will take from your book as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jude Stewart, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, that was a wonderful conversation. Jude Stewart's book is Revelations in Air, a guidebook to smell. I also want to thank our producer, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment. And I want to share with you that there are a whole team of people who make Forum possible. Forum is produced by Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Judy Campbell, and Tina Lauberg. Susan Britton is the lead producer for the 10 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, with help this week from Jim Bennett. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Ng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for sharing your smell stories, and have a great weekend.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.